0: The sad thing about it, I watched the video, and I didn't want to keep watching it. And I was just like, again? Still? Like, what, what has changed? It's the same story.
1: Welcome to the Athlete EQ Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Cersei. And this is part two of my conversation with Jofflo Larkai. In this part of the episode, Flo and I talk about some difficult subjects and the content may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about depression, suicide, and the impact of events that changed his life forever. We also speak about racism in the U S and the UK after the recent murder of George Floyd. And finally, Flo offers some key pieces of advice to young athletes and Even to me. What made you come back to the UK?
0: Oh, uh, part of it was I was getting older and injuries were accumulating. It was getting a little tougher. I was signing later with teams than I usually did. And I was like, damn, man. I've only got got a year or two left to play. You know, but I want to... Be away for nine months and not build anything at home, or you know, is it, am I being compensated enough to go through season? Like, there's a lot of preparation. Like, like okay, this pain, that kind of pain, this traveling, this sleepless night, this emotion. I want to deal with all of that again. So, my last season in Japan, it was a mental struggle. I was playing like the least amount of minutes. I've been playing, and things just weren't right. You know, I wasn't getting opportunities, so I ended up leaving. I was like, I don't want to go through something like that. Again, I need to start thinking about the future. And I was in uh, South Africa, and I was watching one of my guys, Serge Ibaka, work out, and I was talking to his trainer, I was thinking about wanted to coach when I was done playing and he was like everybody wants to coach you need like an extra piece though, to make you to, to stand out so his thing was I can train guys in the weight room and I can train guys on the court so I was like oh the weight room everybody always talks about me in the weight room let me uh, focus on that so I, I found an Avenue one of my good friends Duncan another one Abby they are probably about school, UEL, University of East London, and they're affiliated with London Lions. So they were like, yo, you, you can, your master's at UEL, master's could be paid for, and you can also play with the London Lions so you're still pro. I was like, what? I was like, okay. I mean, that means I can still get the pro feeling, but then build towards something else. Hmm. It didn't quite work out like that, though. No, you know, I would said no to all the overseas offers and committed to UEL, but I wasn't playing with the Lions yet. It led me to a bout of depression. I don't really speak about to so my friends. Because I'm like, yo, I'm like, 35 flies. And I'm back to university. I'm not playing pro. But why the hell am I doing this? What am I doing this for? Like, what direction am I going to go through? Like, did I waste my time being overseas, or just enjoying life, and not planning enough for the future—all these different things—and it, it affected me a lot. So I wasn't out as much, and I was kind of like masking things, the feelings with other things that I used to do. So I was still going out and, you know, clubs and talking to people and dating and all these, all these, these things that just didn't really amount to anything. I had to—I um, got help. You know, I was lucky enough to reach out all my good friends who I went, who was at my second school. I went to. You know, he reached out. He always had a impeccable timing of reaching out, and he asked these probing questions that get you to think and stuff. So he asked, he asked me the right questions and I was able to open up. And he was also he was a life coach, so you know, we started working to help me get out of that. And one of the school counselors at UEL, we were just having a discussion, and he noticed something the way I was talking we started talking, started getting sessions with him just to do his stuff. And as that stuff started, started to get better, then the, the lions rolled around again and I started playing with the lions and then things got in place and things started getting a little better. But then um, that, within a few months, two of my past teammates had died, one in a car crash with his wife another one took his life. And then I remember after the second one, feeling immense guilt for even falling into, like, some slight depression or something. Like, what what, what would I have to be so upset about? My my mum's health and my brother's health and my life is, okay, I'm not in pain, like, all these things. And I was like, i am glad to myself. I'd never allow myself to get into that kind of mindset again, especially through all the things i had been through. Like, felt weak to have done that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I came back to do my masters in sports and exercise science.
1: I wanna pause a moment and acknowledge that comment about you. You know, you feeling you feeling weak for feeling the way you did, and actually say, "No, that's brave. That's brave to go through that and come out the other side. That's not weak. If that's anything, that is strength."
0: It felt like that because when when basketball is your coping mechanism for everything, mm. what do yeah. you use? Like when I'm upset, I go on the court and I, I I'm hard, right? I go to the weight and throw around weights, or it's something. something's not right. You know, you can you know forearm somebody, or just the feeling that, of playing that gave me all of that. Yeah, and I was like, yo, but that's not there now.
1: Yeah,
0: I don't know what I could have done if like if it was stopped like immediately, and I didn't and I couldn't. Especially when you see your friends on social media, like all going another season playing, and uh, like, I go do through all of that just to get here. I'm like, oh, mm. man, I did.
1: But you did right. You started talking about it. You know, you talked about you didn't have the normal coping mechanism of going out on the court. I mean, yes, you were playing the university, but you didn't have that normal coping mechanism at that level. But you found, you found another one, a verbal one.
0: Yeah, that's that was it. Um,
1: and that t- and that takes guts because most people won't do it. Dare I say most athletes won't do it.
0: But <laughs> you know, what? it was it was a like single swim, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And I, I couldn't. Like, I've been through stuff before, like you know the stuff that you know about. I'm old school where I. I got out of that, and I'm like, man, this isn't that, there, man. There's this, this, less uncertainty here than there was there, you know. I had the uh, experience to to fall back on, but I always think, like, what if I hadn't? Like, what if I didn't have a, a strong group of friends? And even though, you, even though you do have a strong group of friends, how many people actually talk deeply to their yeah. friends? know, you don't. Like people know you for a certain thing and I noticed that I was flow, the ball player who travels overseas and talks to girls. You know.
1: <laughs> that was you. To yeah. So most people. people. Yeah, they didn't
0: come to me for that. Nobody asked me. Only a few. And know like the few people that knew like they knew. It was only like recently I started talking to them, I talk to people and I, I talk about more. I just don't engage with some of those other things because they don't they don't interest me. Mm. Talk about something with depth.
1: Sounds like it. You you need weight to the conversation. Oh
0: yeah, that's. I mean, but you can't tell it to everybody because nobody can like meet you there. but
1: the, the, yeah, not everybody's not everybody's comfortable going and talking yeah. about you know the 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 deep stuff. People are like, nah, man, no. <laughs> yeah. You you mentioned some tough stuff that's happened that happened to you before yeah I want to I want to bring up LaSalle and I don't want to bring up like the details of what happened and all that stuff Mm -hmm. I want to know how it affected you as a player and as a person going through that so and you don't have to answer this question to be clear
0: oh no no sorry I mean had to answer it in certain fields and stuff, but let's go with as a player.
1: Okay, start there.
0: So outside of the ACL and meniscus injury I had when I was out of school. I was out of school for two years dealing with this. As a player I got better because all my focus was basketball. My The AU coach I played for when I first got those big scholarships, he gave me a place to stay, you know, purpose, money in my pocket. And he didn't want anything in return, just be successful, work hard. That's what he wanted to work on. So while I was out of school, dealing with this, reading the news, seeing the news, being part of the news, it was like, I can, at least do this. I don't know how long for, but let me do this. So that's what I did. When I was in New Jersey, i would train in New Jersey or I'd go up into Chelsea Piers, New York. And I'd work out at Basketball City. And I would just do that. That's I mean that's all I had to keep me afloat, you know. Um going into more with basketball that like when the reports come out and even though we're slow done with, people are still wary of the character and stuff because you know, everyone loves negative news, you know, they love negative news. So there's more about what happened and less about the actual outcome. And that always pissed me off. Mm. That always made me upset. But you know it is what it is but from a psychological standpoint oh man this one i mean it changed i think it changed everything how I, so um, i became someone who's deeper in thought i became i think more insecure at times i became more of a recluse I was happy with solitude, my own time, my own space because I was by myself for so long with my own thoughts. It was, it was only when I spoke to some people that were more introspective that I had to talk to other people because I am like, yo, you're not talking to anybody like, and you're only talking to yourself. What are you telling yourself? I remember one time my mom even said the way that I was talking, it sounded like suicidal or something like that. And I... I don't want to put my mouth for anything like that. So you're forced to change. You know, but up to, to this up to this day, still, it still affects me to a point where it's like I'm too comfortable being by myself. I'm too comfortable getting too close because people could say and use your words or anything against you. So you're always cautious. And the only way you can lower that caution is, you're giving me something valuable from you. Tell me something valuable. And I think that's probably why when I talk, people always try to go deep. Because I feel like there's a level of something that's valuable. Like, And you're trusting me with that. I can trust you. But it did that. It kept me away. I remember when I I finally got out of it, the two-year... Ordeal, you know, I don't know how I stayed safe. I had some good friends in Philadelphia, who like, He helped out a lot. My brother, Steve Smith, he helped out a lot. I'm gonna go back just a second. So Steve Smith, right? This was, I don't give him enough credit. Oh. Just, we came in together at LaSalle and we both redshirted. But I didn't like him, because you know, we would compete all the time. We'd always argue and stuff. I knew he was a brother. Because we would argue, but we would always make up. Yeah. But you, don't, you don't know how close somebody is. So I remember the day when anything um, when happened, and then I found out I had to leave school until it was sorted out. He was in the coach's office. You know, he was already there. And then he was crying. He was crying for me because he knew, like, as a, as a black male athlete, this is some of the worst stuff that can happen. And like I didn't know he cared so much like that. That's my dad. Like we don't talk all the time, and that's like my brother. Like that's funny. Like his mom's name is Grace. My mom's name is Grace. It was like this, it's like this little silly stuff. He just like, that's my dad. He's one of the people that helped out. And of course, I say Rich Larry. He gave me a place to, to vent and to talk. This is rich. So not everybody gets that. Not everybody gets somebody that cares. Not everybody gets somebody that wants to help. Rich, why he did, I don't know. But he did. I think he could just see something in me. And, you know, he was say, oh, you got to, you know, self-confidence, you got to build yourself up, comes inside, sometimes it doesn't come from inside, sometimes you don't know how. And you need external confirmation, external stimulus. And he was one of those people. He helped, my friends would say, I was hanging around him so much. Rich Leary is like, he's like a 60, right now he's what, 60-something? Um, he looks like, but um, was it Burns in The Simpsons you know, with the boy like that. So it's not like someone that you think that, you know what I mean? He was like that. And he was intense, you know? And I remember I started, my mannerisms, would, I started like taking on his mannerisms and talking the same way I was around him so much. Because he was such an intellectual guy, like, my friends like, you, 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 you're a bit different now, yeah. And I went off to school, to the sad school, And a month in, Coach called me to his office and he said, I need to switch up what I'm doing. He said, You walk around here with your head down, your hood up, your headphones on, not talking to anybody, not interacting. Like, we're here, we're family here to help you, like, keep your head up, like, talk. So that was Coach Badon-Court. That was one of the first things he said. He and uh, there was another coach that was there, Eric Scott, who I loved to do. These guys helped me. I remember October 15th, 2006, um, it was the first day of practice. It was I'd my ACL, and I'd been out for 10 months, and that was the first time I was able to do five on five. And I'm getting ready for practice, you know, about, wait, about five minutes before practice starts, we're on the call getting shots up, and Eric, Know what I've been through, he said. Listen, whatever happens from here or not, there's success. Just know that, man. I, love you. I started crying, like, yo, Eric, go practice, yo. He's <laughs> having me cry for, like, come on, man. That
1: was not the time for this.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, at that time, like, it helped, and I met some good people, but I never got close. That's one thing that I regret, and I still work with now, but it did catch me because. You know, I getting into details, it's a friend falsely accusing you when everybody knows the truth and then everybody backs you up. And that's what, like, the same thing that got you, you know, in a bad position, you know, questioning your character is the same thing that got you out. But people, you know, confirmed or affirmed your good character. So that, yeah, the trust was, it was all, man, it was always tough. man. Yeah. I, until I looked at things like, yeah, it was good. It, it, it helped athletically because I played the best basketball during that time. I had an to go to China and they paid back an to go to Italy. Uh-huh. Um, I worked out with the Knicks um, trainer in, in front of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Scout, you know, that kind of stuff. But, and I was going to go to a to division one school, which I wanted, but no one could touch me until it was over so then I was stuck in limbo two year limbo
1: do you feel like that's been like a black mark on your life that has affected your selectability sense
0: yeah yeah I remember first you going to Spain I read message boards I translate it and then they said we don't want people like this coming to play in our country, and you know, then you might want to make someone and they google you. And, and I'm like, yo, that's I don't know what you've read, but that's not it. Like, if it wasn't, I would not be here talking to you. It makes you not want to, it's it was really tough. I had a good friend, and she helped me with my development for years. She was the one who's like, Flo, you're, you're, you're great. You're a king. You push all this positive stuff for me to try and put myself out there. Because I, I don't think I would even like put myself out there to try things or do things because I just I didn't want people to like start doing background and reading stuff. And it's not true. You know, that's the that's the biggest thing. It was like It's Not true, people do it behind you like teams, it's tough, you know. This is why, as I said, the intangibles are big. You know, if this big black mark is on you, then we need to find out more about this guy, other facets. When you got all these people that can cooperate and say what the things that you're good at or good for, or these type of things, it it kind of erased the, that mark. And it did for a good time because when people get exposed to you and you can show who you really are like you're more than just that accusation. You're more than just you know, that person that got kicked out whatever. You know, you're more than that and that's yeah, that's what helped. That helped. But do you think like, you know what, if I go back in time and relive everything, man, Like, when I wanted anything to change, I think about if I could, what would I change? And only one thing I would change because I didn't see any growth. And that was playing in that championship game where I pulled my ACL. Because nothing didn't develop or grow from that at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked who I became and how analytical I became and studious I became and self-conscious I became get away from people and from during that time, you know. I like that. I like how I became as an athlete, too. I was, yeah, I was, I was almost dunking from the foul line, almost. like my elbow in the river, that kind of stuff. When that happened, when I took my ACL, I remember it was on a f- Friday, uh, Friday the
1: th- th- Please don't say it was Friday the 13th. Please don't no. say that.
0: Uh, It was Friday the 2nd of December, Mm -hmm. right? And on Monday the 5th of December was going to be the first day of court. Mm -hmm. Remember, what was the only thing that kept me above water? was basketball. So now I'm nothing. And I was, oh man... I remember that when I got back, I was in pa- I was in so much pain physically because my knee had swollen like crazy, but the psychological pain was outshadowed that. Yeah, I was like yo, Monday's coming up and I've like, got nothing in there. this is taking away. Like, what am I going to do? I was at I was at my lowest. Yeah, then you know, December fifth rolled around. You know, throughout the case, you know. What do you mean Thrown out? Two years of my life has just been gone. that's it? Oh, you're good. All right. But then I'm walking out with crutches, and cameras on me. I'm right. like, i got to start all over again with something. I just beat one battle, two battles actually, because it's an immigration thing too. And I now, now there's this. like, gee, I can't catch a break, man. Like why do, why do bad things happen to the good people? And then I was like, you know what? Oh, there's good things that happen to bad people, and then I came to realization that it's causality. Things just happen sometimes. You know? Yeah, and you just gotta deal with it. You just gotta, you just gotta deal with it.
1: Was there ever a point where you thought you couldn't deal anymore, and you wanted out?
0: Playing or life, or yes, um, <laughs> life, no. You think about it, right? I, I've, I've had the had, had thoughts before. But then I was like, one, that would kill my mum. And she was like, how would I do it? I said, I don't, I don't think there's a way I could do it where I wouldn't feel pain. I was like, nah, that's going to hurt too much. <laughs> what if you don't? What you're not successful? Like, I, I, just, I couldn't do that. Um, for not playing? No. Then it's like, the negative spirits or whatever, what we want to call it, would have won. Huh. And I was just, giving a big F you to them. Like, there's no way you'll... No way. I'm going to let you win? Oh, I don't know. Never will I let what you do set the outcome. No way. I oh, no.
1: hmm. I like that. I can't really sit here on the 30th of May, 2020, and not ask you as... A black man in the world who's lived in the US lived yeah. in other countries yeah. and not ask if you want to make a comment about George, George Floyd
0: it's the sad thing about it I watched the video and I didn't want to keep watching it and I was just like again still like what What has changed? Like I know my friends have posted stuff from James Baldwin and Jane Elliott and Malcolm X and Martin Luther. There's a lot of things, and it's the same story that is still applicable today, 50, 60, 30 years from when it was first said. And I, I, I I want to understand where the disdain hate and everything comes from. I mean, is it inbred into the people or are the people just that evil? Because when I try to think of where the where hate or fear is like, a lot of it's unjustifiable. I don't, like, if you go back in history, you know, the atrocities that have been done to black Africans, I mean, you would think that people would have done, had a right on the whole world. But they we haven't. They haven't. You know, when things are happening to us and then you hear things I got some white friends who say some stuff, but some of them are uninformed, so you correct them. They'll say stuff like, Well, you know, there's bad people killing bad people like you. Happen yo, listen, white people kill white people. They don't call it white or white crime. It's just crime. The difference is when a police officer kills a black person, the police officer, the modus operandi was serve and protect. Where is the serve where is the protector? There's no killing there. The force that they use, you wonder, like, do they not have training? You think about it, like, it takes a lawyer, what, seven years to learn the law and practice the law. You can come out of the police academy in eight months and now you can start enforcing the law. That some, it took almost seven years to learn. And it's like, yo, is there no remorse? And I, I see the riots, you know, I see the protests and people are saying like, well, they shouldn't be doing that. And I used to think that too. And I was like, but what else are they supposed to do?
1: Yeah.
0: It's the voice of the unheard. You
1: know? Yeah.
0: And you think What else do you, like, here's the thing, there'll be no protests or riots. If they brought the police officers in straight away, or, and they, they, they brought um, the main guy in, what did they charge him with? Third degree murder. I know. Third degree murder is almost like manslaughter. He can get away with that. And then if he gets charged with manslaughter, it'll probably be involuntary manslaughter. So it's like people are upset because we see that it's not like police are like to everybody. Because we've seen how they can be. People who have murdered people get treated better than someone who sold a loose cigarette or was, had a, a bad check or was a, a fake $20 bill. It was a bill.
1: counterfeit $20 bill that he yeah. may, not, may or may not have even known.
0: Well, Here's the thing whether he did or not, does that justify you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, no. I, yeah. <laughs> to, to me, it's, it's absolutely right. no, it does not.
0: I want to get it, like I want to understand it. But are that people, that scary. Is that that much hate? Like, is 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 the skin color? Is it is it that much of a weapon? That you know what I mean? It's like I'm not sure. So the other video with that lady in the park. I'm gonna call the police and say African American man is what?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I I want to understand. Then they she says in a. An apology, um, piece. She's not racist, you know, she was just, you know, fearful. What? I mean, fearful enough to know that if you call the police, what could happen? Okay. Yeah, of course you will. I want to understand it, but it's getting very difficult. And I want to, I can't sit here and say that the people who are rioting and protesting are wrong. When the police continually Do that punching, little girls, throw, slap, body slamming them to the ground. Are you kidding me? Yeah,
1: (laughs) and
0: it's all because because they don't get held accountable. This is what happens. If they were held accountable, this wouldn't happen. But they don't get held accountable.
1: Yeah, there's a, you know, there is a systematic, and you know, I'm. I'm a middle-class white woman raised in, you know, a, let's say, a more conservative part of the United States. Yeah. And I grew up in a systematic way of being told to be fearful, being told to stay away from people of color, not just nice. black.
0: Can I ask, like, fearful yeah. of what? Like, what was the, what, what would, fearful of what exactly? I would want to know.
1: Uh, you know, the fear was never specific.
0: Okay.
1: The fear, you know, truthfully, the fear was never. Um, the t- fear was never specific. Um, I have, I've heard people, I've heard members of my own family, um, say things like you know, oh, well, they're, you know, they're, they're raised different. And I'm like, wait, what, what do you mean they're raised? What do you mean they're raised different? They're raised to be, you know, that women are property or they're raised to be that violence will get them something or that violence is acceptable. And I'm just, uh, you know, there, there's moments When you're a young, impressionable kid, you get it. You get told that you believe it. It comes out of somebody's mouth that you trust. Yeah. You believe it. But again, as you get older, you start to, you really, you, you I start to question. It's like, is that really, are they raised that violence is the answer or is that, what happens because of the situation they're in. Are there, because there have got to be black parents that are telling their black children. Don't, you know, don't be, don't how not to be killed by police officers. That's a yeah. thing. You have to teach yeah. your children that. So are they ra- So absolutely. When they, when you say they're raised differently, of course they're raised differently.
0: Yeah.
1: They're raised to be specifically told this is how you, this is this is not a lesson you learn as a white person, how yeah. to not be there's killed a, by cops.
0: I don't know if it's a book, but there's a great lecture that you should definitely look up on YouTube by Dr. Joy Gray. And it's called PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder. And it speaks about what slavery has done from a psychological point to today's Black Americans and how they don't know that what ancestors have gone through could, you know, affect them. Like she she recounts something that she said If I had the puppy, you know, and I stomped the puppy in front of you, right, you'd be like traumatized for a while. So she was saying that, and then she said that because she showed a picture of a lynching, like in the 60s or 50s. Yeah. Look at the people in the picture. There's little girls and little boys watching this and smiling. You can see them with little grins on their faces. They're not traumatized at all. What yeah. kind of cognitive dissonance has been embedded in them for them to not see a, a black person as not even, you know what I mean? So in a in, in, in the lecture, there's a lot of stuff like that. It's it's a great. Like, I've watched it a few times. It's like she's so like insightful with her stuff. Like she looked at post-traumatic slave disorder.
1: Post-traumatic slave disorder. I'm gonna have to look that one up because yeah i i I wish i I wish I had a I wish I had an answer. I wish I had words of wisdom, and I wish I understood.
0: What is it? just it's Like don't. Police are supposed to uphold the law. If they do something that looks unlawful, just hold them accountable, please.
1: Yeah.
0: That's not police. Like, they said that's not police. Like, that's not, you don't receive that in training. Eight, nine minute neck kneel. It wasn't like one nil. like he was calling Kaepernick where your weight is distributed. It was both knees, one his neck, one on his back.
1: Yeah. A full See? weight of another human.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why do people, people were filming it? Why didn't they do anything? Well, number one, thank the person that filmed it because we wouldn't have seen it. And number two, when you're a civilian and there are four police officers, all of them have guns and tasers. It's, you know, it's, it's difficult. It would be, if, they, if they weren't armed, like in England, they're not armed. Yeah. They're armed forces, but they're not armed. They have their pepper spray and tasers and stuff. So you know, there's a lot of certain things that people want to stand for that I've seen in this country. But in America, all these guys are armed with the limited training they got.
1: Stepping, stepping in is putting your life at risk as a civilian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would argue that even as a fellow police officer, mm-hmm. like there were three other police officers there yeah. stepping in. Now, I can't speak for those three that were there, but, you know, for somebody else who rolled up on the scene, it's another mm-hmm. officer stepping in you know that that puts your life on the line. That puts your life at risk.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: It's a it's a tough one, and I don't want to. I don't want to end on a tough one. So I want to ask. Um, I know you're really. Um, you know, I know you're into giving back to the next generation. You do. You know, camp, and you've gone to the U.S. You've gone to Africa to do camp, and. Um, you know, you've worked with young players. Dig into, a, dig into some wisdom of your present self mm-hmm. that you would like to give to your younger self that would help other young, other young players out there. What would be a piece of wisdom?
0: Know your why and surround yourself with people that know it and we'll hold you accountable for it. The reason why I say to know your why is, with all the competition, and how things uh, get so tough in pursuing a passion, you wanna quit. You always have to have that reason why you started. And it doesn't need to be anything like great. It doesn't to be nothing existential or anything like that. It could just be, you know, strictly for love, it could be financial gain, it could be to create identity for yourself, but that remembering of the why and as you progress new milestones and stuff, you can always add on to that why and add further fuel to the fire. And when you're met with criticism, this is one thing I do talk to some of the youngers about. When you're the criticism, you like, who is it coming from? And who are they to criticize you? Like, if they haven't done anything themselves, you always ask them, have you pursued a passion before? Are you passionate about anything? People who are passionate about anything, people who have pursued something, they're not going to knock someone off. Only of people that I found out, people that haven't. They're they're the biggest critics. They naysayers, like people at like the top don't. They're not concerned with no concern for the bottom. People below you, like oh, it's almost like oh no, like the, why are you working so hard for? Uh, then it's like you're putting a mirror in their face by like showing them by showing how hard you work. It shows them how hard they're not working or what they're not putting in. So be cautious of that too. So sort of the why's and where the criticisms
1: coming from. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I love getting words of wisdom because it's like my, my why for doing what I do is to be the person that I needed when I decided to leave my career behind. Yeah. And I want to be that person that I needed that would have kept me from quitting.
0: You know what? I, for you, I wouldn't say you quit, you transition.
1: Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Thank you for that reframe. I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) If you were just quitting, is if you're not even doing anything that you're passionate about. Yeah, like that's that's quitting. If you move from one thing to another, but there's passion in that too, it's not a quit. It's it's quitting is transition. But you transition.
1: Transition. Thank you for that reframe. I'm putting that on a post-it and sticking it on my computer. (laughs) You didn't quit. You transitioned. I love it. Yeah, that you know who you getting criticism from. Yeah, is is big because you're right. Sometimes the criticism is coming from somebody whose opinion shouldn't doesn't matter. Well, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for sitting down, um, being open and honest and real. I think it's been it's been really powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We got to thank you, though. I appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. You've been listening to the Athlete EQ Podcast. This episode may have been a little difficult for some listeners. And if that's you, please reach out to someone, just like Flo did. If you don't have anyone you can speak to, you can always contact Samaritans at 116-123. They are available to listen 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Thanks for spending some time with us. Please take time to download this episode and share it with someone. If you like what you heard, don't hesitate to go back and listen to previous episodes. And don't forget to subscribe for our future episodes. For the next several weeks, we are running a contest to determine our Athlete EQ Podcast Superfans. To enter, download, rate, and comment on this episode. Then, take a screenshot and email it to aeqpodcast.contestentry@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Entries will be accepted until midnight on the 9th of July, 2020, and our three superfans will be notified at noon the following day. The Superfan prizes to be awarded include a Lakers jersey from LeBron James, a signed basketball from podcast guest Justin Robinson, and a gift certificate from Nike. Good luck to all our listeners. Last but not least, we'd love to hear what you think. If you have some feedback for us, send us a message to aeqpodcast.feedback at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode.